Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DMs Book Club, your favorite place for ramblings about, in this case, small people that like to hide away from society in clutches and communes that are definitely not cults. I'm here with my friend that definitely doesn't belong in a cult either. I mean that sincerely. It's Fee. How are you? The greater good. Yes, I'm fine, thank you. I'm very well. <laughs> good. I'm not, I'm not part of a cult. <laughs> so, no, exactly. You're not. But just by saying that, people raise their eyebrows. Yes. It's a, it is well, I can't a, remember what that, that uh, there's a term for it when there's just mere suggestion that something isn't a thing makes people think that it is. Yeah. It's like I, an insinuation of some kind. But well, I, th- I think I think you and I both had it when we messaged each other going, hey, I need to talk to you. Don't worry. It's nothing bad. And instantly you go, yeah. well, it, it must be terrible. I don't know yeah. what it is. It must yeah. be bad. But I did this for years, genuinely thinking I was helping. Like I would message people and I'd be, don't worry about this. I've got something to tell you, but it's, it's a really minor thing. Because I genuinely thought, right, well, Ryan's setting the scene. That They see that that sentence they don't worry about things and years later my wife actually sat me down and was like you know when you do that you might as well just say the thing and then say but it's not a big deal yeah because by saying it's not a big deal but you go okay right this is the biggest deal Rand's ever had and it's, he it, hates yeah. it it's so weird because obviously you, yeah like you said you think you're just diffusing a situation but I guess because like I've had it where people go oh I'll, I'll see you later I've got something to tell you but don't worry about it. And then so they go, oh, that thing I have to worry about. And it's definitely about me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I just, I've been, I've been in pubs. Um, um, our friend David did it to me once where he was like, oh, I've got something to tell you, but don't worry about it. And all day I was like, oh, I've said something really horrible to him. What have I said? And then I was in the pub and he was whispering away. And I went, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is it they have to say to me? He goes, I'm saying it. I'm like, oh, it's not about me. And then I, <laughs> I felt like a complete <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> So I my head. It's not about it me. Oh, it's not about uh, me. And in that uh. case, it's not important then, really, is it? Let's yeah, I, I, I zoned out after that. No, but it, <laughs> it is. It's so weird. But yeah, it's like, it's, don't think of a black cat. And you go, well, fuck, I've thought of a black cat yeah. and all that sort of thing. So yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Oh, I was, re- sorry, incidentally, I was reading something very recently about, and I forget the phrase now, but it is the concept where if you say black cat, you think black cat in your head. And mm. some people don't have a picture of one. So for mm. instance, if I close my eyes, I can think of a black cat and it stood there in front of me. Mm-hmm. But some people have no visual thoughts at all, mm. which I find fascinating. It's, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, but then I, I wonder to myself, do I have this? Because I definitely can visualise certain things. But then I think people have obviously various degrees of like visualising stuff like they can do it. I'm much better at describing things. But I guess even when I describe things, I can't visualise the whole image fully unless mm. I like have to draw it yeah. out or something like that. I do that sort of dictionary definition thing where it's like, think of a red apple and oh, I, I can I can see roughly the apple, not in huge detail, but I know it's red. I know the rough shape. I know where the stalk should be. Like exactly. it's like all the mathematical things of what an apple is. Mm-hmm. It's weird. No, yeah. I just, I'm sorry, I read that recently. Speaking of reading, I read something else very recently, which was equally, if not more interesting. And I'd love it if you could explain what that was to me. So, what are we reading today? So Ryan, we are going back into Monarchidon's Tome of Foes, which has been a little while since we've sort of done a big, bigger sort of delve into sort of the history and lore of the Forgotten mm. Realms. And, you know, we talk a lot about wars. We talk a lot about great races that are fighting each other or have great histories. I wanted to look at not the little people per se, both physically and metaphorically, but those people who aren't touched by war or people who have these communities that's very odd to see them as adventurers are out because why would they leave and mm. interestingly i didn't realize 
And again, maybe it's just me as a GM, that there was a real big difference between these two particular communities. So today we're going to look at halflings and gnomes. So that's page 99 and it's about 15 pages or so. And we're going to look at them sort of like what makes them sort of unique in terms of their races, and a little bit of the history as well. And probably some pronunciations or mispronunciations of some gods that are associated <laughs> with each of them. Oh, yeah, you've got a bunch to think about here and they are all very very interesting but what a topic choice we have we've, we've been through quite a few of the chapters in this book actually and they do all involve normally horrendously old blood wars or mind flayer induced paranoia that sort of mm-hmm. you know people get hunted and now are crazy and i mean all kinds of terrifying backstories and Halflings and gnomes don't really have terrifying backstories, do they? They're very much an exception to how things normally are in the world. Exactly that. And I'll say at the top, because I think sometimes you're like, well, you know, are they not very similar in terms of things? It's actually quite interesting, the difference between them. So halflings, which are essentially, I again, I don't know which one came first. I presume the hobbits came first. So this idea of Tolkien, sort of like small people who are good with their life. They, they like what they've got. They're not wanting for more. They have their own little communities and happy in these communities and stuff. And if they leave their communities, it's because something has happened that what makes them want to go. And so that's quite interesting in that respect. Whereas gnomes, on the other hand, they are always curious and there's never a dull moment in their life. So they're always wanting to see the world. They're always wanting to go out there. So it's very different, that sort of thing. So one is happy with their set and the other person uh, wants more of a set or wants, wants to find out more about the world to see what else there is. It's, it's slightly different takes on a very similar theme but they lead to some huge changes in how they go about and how they sort of display themselves. And yeah, I love it. I love it. I both both have a special place in my heart in terms of how you would play a character. It's very much the anti-edgelord trope that you can sort of fight yes. against in order to play one of these characters. Should we start with halflings? That's probably the best let's, place to start. Let's start with halflings. And in- interestingly enough, before we get into it, I think apart from humans, the only other races I've played are halflings and gnomes, like r- regularly in campaigns. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There's a, clearly a good person hidden in you that's just excited Down. to be buried in a small hole enjoying life. <laughs> halflings are peaceful folk who have found niches for themselves away from these battles and the rivalries of bigger things. The same with gnomes as well, I should say. But there is this sort of not myth, but this sort of idea of the look of the halflings, that whatever happens to them, maybe they're uh, on the way to market and they fall or they or there's some sort of danger that is posed to threat to them, they always manage to just sidestep it. Uh, it's like almost like an unseen force sort of intervenes with it. And as a result, there's this sort of belief system that they believe in this power of luck. And they, as a result, they abide by a number of great superstitions, which you should follow. Yeah, and it's that sort of great belief system that, oh, well, you've got to you know, count your stars or you've got to, um, when you see a magpie, you go, oh, good morning, Mr. Magpie, all these sort of things. So that good luck will always follow you. And ultimately what defines them, apart from sort of this sort of unnatural, uncanny as a look, that we'll go into a bit, bit more in a second, is that they just enjoy the simple pleasures of the moment. And they desire no more than that. They are perfectly happy with what has got. It's a bit like uh, the satyrs we talked about a couple of episodes ago. But I think compared to the satyrs, who are always like, they're willing to have the revelry, they're willing to have the big parties and stuff. Um, these halflings are like, we'll have the party, but we'll clean up 
and we're happy with that and everyone <laughs> takes a part and everyone's happy and everything's great organized fun is organized that's sort of that's what the vibe I get from them yeah I love that I love that being the biggest difference between a satyr and a halfling is a halfling cleans up afterwards that Absolutely. is so totally true <laughs> there is that sense of home isn't there of hospitality and being the most amazing host Mm-hmm. and enjoying having guests and guests appreciating hosts and treating a home like it's their own home and it's very orderly and and quaint isn't mm-hmm. it in, in the way they go about things but they're happy with that as long as you are in the moment and living life at home in a very nice way they seem to be that, that that's a good lot for them yeah and the hospitality is actually a really good marker of this as well so they are friendly to a fault and I, one thing I really like about halflings is that they're not necessarily, they don't feel fear. And what I mean by that is that when they see like a, a stranger that comes into their community, they're not instantly hiding away as one may think like, oh, we must protect ourselves. They're probably like, oh, good morning. How are you this fine day? Like they're willing to go and say hello. And ultimately it's what counts is that the character behind that person. So like if there's ill intent, the halflings will be aware of it. There is some, they're not, it's not extended to naivety per se, but they're willing to be like, oh, hello, you're different. You're, you're from, you're from, do you want to come in? Hello. You know, that sort of giving that extension of hospitality because they believe that most people probably have um, some good intentions somewhere, which I just, again, we've talked about this before with other things, but I just like that idea that you're not afraid or you're not questioning someone's motives straight away. Uh, which mm-hmm. I guess D&D, again, that sort of idea is like, well, war is happening, so oh, they've got a secret agenda, they're trying to one-up us. I think the way that halflings are, they're sort of almost disarmingly nice mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, uh, yes, I'd like some tea. And then there's that sort of weird thing where you're sort of like a bit awkward about it because they're just so nice. But they're not, but like I said, they're not naive about it. They are, they they do have that instinct of self-preservation. So they they can, I guess it's almost like seeing through someone, like your mm. old granny, sort of Lydia per se, that sort of sits back and it's like, so tell me all about yourself. And if you lie, granny Lydia knows. I think it's the same of all halflings. They know when something's up and can yeah. see through any lies and stuff, which I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, I love yeah. that. Exactly, that deep-seated insight. But as I said, I think the book describes it as having almost optimism running yeah. through everything they do. It's that optimistic sense of anything that's happening. You know, someone comes up to the gate uh, charging up in armor, uh, whereas somebody would go, oh, my goodness, close the gates. We'll quiz this person as they come in. The halfling would go, oh, they clearly need help. Let them in, let them in yeah. <laughs> as, as a default. And they're not, I, I think it's, it, it's worth saying they're not um, naive, Halflings don't go so far as to be stupid or throwing themselves into danger based on a naivety, mm-hmm. but certainly they, yeah, optimistic to a fault. If there is a good way of seeing something that isn't necessarily dangerous to them, they will see it like that. They see the hope, they see the redemption, they see just the idea of a good story afterwards. Yeah. Like even in the moment of something being really, really, really bad, it's like, well, just think about what I can, you know, how many people would love to hear about this afterwards. Yeah, and that is actually a really good point as well. Again, I think everyone will just imagine the beginning of like Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit tea party and like Gandalf coming in and Bilbo and Frodo giving tea and stuff. It's that sort of homely quality that you get to prove. But a very good point, what you just said about stories. So one of the big sort of like, I guess, unique things about sort of halflings in general is that they love a good story and their prized possessions are, you know, things that are valuable but not of monetary value, but it's something to do with a good story. So mm. again, that idea, you've been to, 
you've been to aunts and uncle's house or great grandma's house where there are just tons of what you think is tat you're lining the walls and stuff but you know that person has a story behind every single piece of item and to them that story is beautiful and interesting and it could be just everyday things it doesn't have to be amazing quest things you don't have to have like the sword of avalon behind you on the mantelpiece it could literally be a pipe it could be a key from some uh like a, a ring of keys from a jail or something which your auntie uh got out of like there's a great example of was it uh, auntie hattie chasing away a bugbear with a rolling pin and i thought that's in red of course you'd keep the rolling pin that was a, a really cool mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. but as a result sort of goes sort of back on them so when other people come so strangers come into the communities and the hobbits sorry not the hobbits or oh, gonna switch back that mm-hmm. the halflings see that they are covered in you know amazing items and stuff they will probably ask a lot of maybe what we'd see as invasive or probing questions so where did you get this tell us that because they are interested in the stories of it Mm. and i think once you're over that sort of maybe evasive probing again i think of like uh grandmother's way of questioning you Mm -hmm. trying to get those Mm -hmm. bits of information out it's not again for necessarily for ill intent it's very unlikely that it's more that they love a good story and Mm -hmm. the other side to it is that they love keeping history alive so they have a uh, like almost like a a gift for storytelling and it is a rare treat for any outsiders to come into a community to have Basically, I, I assume it's like a town hall meeting where people celebrate or have the party and stuff. And you have the elders of the community giving out these amazing stories. And I love the idea that actually just say that quite a lot of the stories are song like and almost rhyming. So it's almost like a performance piece that people listen to. So it's always any tales about caution that they have, like we must be careful of, um, we you know, to be invaded by orcs or be invaded by stuff from the forest. We must learn these things and do it in almost like a, uh, like a fairy tale way it's like um i'm just trying to think, not revolting rhymes for revolting children that's a mm, real doll but that, history sort of thing. yeah horrible histories and stuff that idea yeah, of just yeah. um putting it in that kind of garb so that everyone listens to it because they enjoy the story but they keep the message on it's um oh, there's, yeah. there's so many uh, books the story like is more interesting if it's a story than just a warning yeah that, I, I do like that at no point will a halfling sit down and go you shouldn't go into that cave because you'll die yes. it'll be some sort of yeah as i say like a, a 17 page rhyme about about how Ginny Jitters went into the cave and got the jitters because of what they saw in it and, and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, that I, I do love. It's, it's the idea. I mean, half things have this sort of weird juxtaposition, don't they? They love stories, they love history, but then they also don't seem to want to travel around too much in the sense that they're very yes. happy with where they are. They're very happy with being in their small little worlds, small very safe very calm little places that they can just sort of inhabit yeah it's it's quite interesting i guess because i guess they're so interested with news from the outside i imagine it is when your parents ask you about what you've been doing and if you list them all off they go well that's lovely and they're happy that you have done that they've enjoyed almost like i guess almost parasitically feeding off your enjoyment of telling the story and that that's enough for them they don't need to go see it themselves because it sounds us Sounds too much of a bother. I like the idea that anything beyond the community is a bother for them. But yeah, they it's interesting again that you said that. So they are adapt, they're not like reclusive by nature. They just have places to settle which are just out of the way. It's almost like forgotten about. You know, they could be literally next door to you, but just the way they've built their uh, communities and stuff, you just don't happen to see them or don't know they exist. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I quite liked is that they don't produce goods or trade goods for outsiders but they love to trade with visitors who have anything interesting to swap. 
so again and we've always been to those sort of um, those you know big urban towns and stuff where we always go and we all with all monetary value and stuff but that doesn't mean anything to them so you could go into a halfling village or a community and what they have stuff and you're like oh that's really good but then you need to bargain your way with your own stories and your own thing and i just thought that would be interesting to see that as a role-playing perspective for players mm. to be actually like okay convince me this is a good story why would you part with a spoon that you just pulled out of your bag you know yeah 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 exactly it, it's it's a good opportunity to bring in a bit of role play to people who necessarily wouldn't be jumping in that direction initially it's like right you you they, they will take your 10 gold but you probably get away with giving that spoon as long as you can convince them and i, I love that as an idea like it, you are absolutely right it's it's just a nice way of looking at things and a nice way of of just going through life and and halfling this thing about it is idyllic isn't it halfling places mm. to live would just be wonderful and, and all of the drawings you ever see in books are all of these golden green and, and yellow fields with nice bright blue skies and moss and trees and oh it always seems just beautiful the artwork is i mean there's a bloke skipping a fish which i just find really really funny <laughs> in the book but i mean he just looks absolutely ecstatic with himself then going from that to why they might leave, which I thought was an interesting thing. So mm. yeah, for them, what would be the purpose of an adventure? What would draw them to it? And they talk about, you know, they are unlike the characters for doing it. And sometimes they are forced to leave for various reasons. Maybe they need to resettle their community for whatever reason. They, like I said, they're not targets of wars or anything like that, these communities, but they are roving bands of, you know, um, I was going to say merchants, uh, <laughs> mercenaries, uh, you know, people <laughs> living in the forest that might just want take what they want and stuff like that. So maybe they have to suddenly up and go and maybe go to a city instead. And they talked to us this idea about a halfling quarter in every city and then going there and started building up this very homely home from home and everyone is uh is welcome and stuff i just love that as an idea like every city has that sort of quarter but the adventurers themselves they are those sort of halflings adventurers are people who are born with an overabundance of curiosity there's a call to adventure and even if the call to adventure is just to go to the big city of over the big hill there's this i love this is a phenomenon called fancy feet where you, this <laughs> community say oh marjorie well She's got fancy feet, that one. Oh, hopefully it'll come out of her. And the, the idea of fancy feet is that, you know, that urge to, to wander beyond the boundaries of this community, to go places uh, beyond that. And what I really loved is that there are different ways to uh, deal with it. Some people will be like, gently sort of go, well, maybe you should reconsider, you know, you've got a great place here, etc. Alternatively, there could be a big celebration, like fantastic, off you go. We will celebrate your sort of coming of age, I guess. Off mm. you go. It reminded me very much of um, in Moana, that idea is that <laughs> yes. she, she is, you know, wants to explore and stuff, but her place is with her community and her parents mm. are sort of like, well, you are the, the next leader. We need you here, but everything here is what we want. So I, I really took that like sort of thing where she wants to go and explore and see what mm. is beyond. And even when she does, she comes back and all of her experiences are better for the community, but she does stay with the community after all. Exactly. And and I guess the, the only difference between the Moana and, and the halfling, as I look at it, is that with Moana, obviously they're like, you yeah, don't leave because you've got all of these things. Halflings sometimes are quite keen to let their children display those sort of fancy feet-esque things, either on the understanding that they grow out of it eventually or actually sometimes you do need a couple of adventurers to go out and find the world and bring things back and you know they're not necessarily as you say like half things have this sort of weird 
mix of being very isolated and very um, reclusive, but they're not reclusive to a fault. It's just that they keep out the way of people. They're, they're very willing to engage in society and life. And, and to, as I say, it talks about homes away from home and, and mm. how halflings will, even if they're not in halfling, uh, you know, establishments or towns, there will be a halfling quarter or a halfling neighborhood in most cities and towns that you have got. They, they find their ways. They are fantastic hosts um, we've spoken about Eberron before, where it talks about halflings being the absolute purveyors of basically every decent tavern and inn in a world, because it's just something that comes naturally to them. And in Eberron, there's dragon marks that sort of come with that as well, that make it a little bit more involved. But mm-hmm. that same idea that seeing a halfling owning the tavern in a human civil city would not be a strange thing. That would be like absolutely the perfect halfling thing. People coming through, telling stories without them needing to actually go anywhere. Yeah. You know, they want exposure, but they don't necessarily want to be in the firing line. Speaking of Eberron, there is obviously other setting which uh, halflings are in, and one it mentions in the book, which I had to look up because I've not really heard of the setting, the Dark Sun setting, which oh. it sounds a lot like Mad Max in the Forgotten Realms. There's been a post-apocalyptic something, and obviously all these races have been affected in some way, and it talks about halflings turning from these beautiful homely creatures into, and I'll quote this, feral creatures prone to devouring flesh of humans and elves, uh, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> in case in case that wasn't for you, in case you were like, oh, well, I want them to be different. There are different versions of halflings in other settings. But I just love that idea that you go from one thing, like, oh, it's so homely, to like, ah, today is a good day to die, you know, that sort yeah. of yeah, Mad Max feel. The idea of a, of a rabid, cannibalistic halfling is terrifying. Something exactly. about that being too good a creature. I just don't want to see that happen. That's uh <laughs> Oh, that's awful. That's awful. But it's all about stories. And that's the thing to remember with halflings. They want to create legends. They want to be legends. And then they want to, more importantly, tell everybody about a spoon that they've stolen from the giant and become a, a telling legend themselves when they when they come back. It's, I, I don't know. I just, I like them. I really like them. They're, they've always sort of resonated nicely with me, halflings, and, and how they go about things. Yeah. And just to sort of finish off before we look into sort of the ideals that you can get, because there's, there's a couple of tables of D&D, always have some good tables about ideals, characteristics, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to quickly mention the halfling gods. So I didn't realise this at all, but obviously every uh, lineage, every sort of race will have gods of some sort that they uh, adhere to. And interesting for this group of gods, halflings don't see them as um, deities or something that should be worshipped more like extended family members Mm. and they are part of the team again going with that homely thing and again they set an example which is told through stories again that sort of like warning not to go into the wood but dressed up in sort of more poetic language all the gods i notice are either good neutral or lawful there's no evil gods at all in the uh halfling pantheon the most important one is yolanda or Yol- Yolanda. Oh God, I don't know. It's the it's the main Yon- one at the top. Yondala. Yondala. There. You go. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, very strange spelling. Yeah, Yondala, who is as a, a strong leader, and there was a big story about how she was the one that initially sort of helped the halflings go into this way of having this look, being able to sidestep things and protect them. And she had this vision of how her people would be and stuff, and showed them how to build and to plant and to harvest and how to protect. Community. So she is sort of at the head of the sort of pantheon. And then you have other ones. And, and there's a good mix of both male and female presenting uh, gods. You've got ones that are about clever tactics in battles, which, again, the chapter talks about 
tactics used in the community, which again, I thought was quite interesting. Again, would, would you necessarily put that into a campaign? I think you would, if you were basing certain villages and stuff that they have certain ways of dealing with outside forces or outside um, ways to contend with, not necessarily huge armies per se, but like a random ogre coming into town. Like, how do you deal with that? Mm. And yeah, it's just all sort of things are very interesting. And there's different gods about adventuring and stuff so the whole sort of like range of the sort of aspects of the halfling lifestyle is covered i say so yeah i'm very interested to read about that very much so they're much more detailed and interesting folks than you may put into sort of yeah you know the initial thoughts and the idea i just like the idea that halflings can have gods of war and and it's it's less sort of military and more just sort of like trickery and exactly. winning against the odds and i just love the idea of some of these like the troll knocker the, yes. the idea that they sort of just lure use, use some halflings to act as bait to lure a troll in and then attack it like that it's just i love it i love yeah. it it's, it's absolutely great that's halflings and, and yep. lots of interesting things about halflings so how would you compare them initially to gnomes because i think a lot of people would probably get the two not mixed up but certainly yep. would mix characteristics up between the two um in some cases maybe fairly but hmm. in others maybe not no absolutely and i i certainly was one right at the beginning who just thought the same things but gnomes compared to halflings they are lovers of discovery. That is what drives a gnome, that there's always something, they've always got questions, they've always got things they want to do, and they get obsessed with certain topics. Well, if I, I thought to myself, like, if I was in real life one of these things, I think I'd definitely be a gnome over a halfling, because I've always got questions, I always fiddle with things and, like, learn how things are, are made and done, and... It's, they talk about drinking deeply of life, so they're rarely bored, and they savour every moment, whereas compared to halflings, they make an art out of uh, idleness, you know, they'll have their perfect spot where they can just while away the afternoon. For mm -hmm. gnomes, they will be doing stuff, they'll be like, okay, I've read my book, I've done this, I've done this, and I've made this, you know, in a whole course of an afternoon, so that's how I would compare to them, and it doesn't mean in terms of productivity, both are very happy doing what they are doing, but it's very, you can easily tell the, the difference, because gnomes are just fascinated by things and they are fueled by this irrepressible sort of curiosity and it's never never dull when you're around mm. a gnome which i love exactly and, and that's the thing it's, it's never being content to sit and do nothing like everything can be improved everything can be sort of filled in with more excitement and joy and randomness and it's so different to halflings you're absolutely right if, if both had an afternoon off a halfling may sit there with a pipe and a pint and just watch the sunset, whereas the gnome will have invented a pint glass that sings uh, a yep. pipe that refills itself. And then before they knew it, it was two days later and the afternoon had long gone and they realized they're late for something else. So yes. it's absolutely, that's exactly the sort of like, the, the, yeah, the, the, the idea between the two of them. But even within gnomes, I mean, we have this idea of gnomes all being tinkerers and clockmakers, mm. but even that's not entirely true because we've got different types of gnomes, haven't we? Yes. And interestingly, compared to halflings, obviously there are stout halflings and lightfoot halflings. There's not too much a difference between those two, whereas we actually have three different types of gnome, which are very distinct. So obviously the one you just mentioned, so the idea of tinker gnomes are, no, more commonly they are rock gnomes. So this idea that when you're in sort of a cavern and there are rock gnomes around, there is the sounds of industry, the tapping, it's, it's a constant hum of stuff. 
and the jabbering of near intelligence speed. So the idea that they're wittering along almost at the speed of thought, talking out loud. Um, I've, I've mentioned it before on, there's a, a program called uh, She-Ra, Princesses of, Princesses of Power. And there's an entraptor who is a, a, a engineering princess who does exactly that. She just talks to herself and thinks these things out loud. And I use her for a big inspiration because when I play gnomes, because just the way she talks about stuff and people go, what is it that you need? And you go, ah, yes, it's this. And it's it's great to see how long you could whittle on for about until someone interrupts you. People are getting better at doing it because I mm-hmm. I lose what I'm saying about maybe two sentences and I'll just keep going until someone goes, oh, she needs editing. Right, now I'll talk to her. <laughs> but what <laughs> I love, what I love about Rock Gnomes is this idea that they are always busy. They're always doing stuff, you know, these sort of bold periods of the of experimentation, but they have mutual respect what other people are doing despite different perspectives so you could be building some i don't know some big digging machine to help win the mines and someone else is doing something similar you might be a bit jealous of it perhaps you might be like "Mm, not so sure but at the same time you like got to respect what they're doing they've also thought of a different way to come at a problem and that's something i miss in real life is that some people are like Mm -hmm. no don't like it hate it you get judgmental and stuff like that in game and there is this sort of collaborative thing where you're like i don't agree with you but I respect what you're doing. And I, I just like that as a thing. And this idea of failing forward so that you could you know, break this machine 10 times, but it takes the 11th time to work and you learn from it. And they love that. They love being able to create things, take notes on it. The idea that you interact with them and they go, try this out. And they're just there with a notepad going, no, 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 no. And then it's like, cool, thank you. And then move back. And that's maybe a downside perhaps is that they get quite a tunnel vision. So they could spend hours in their workshop creating something but like you said, days could pass by. People could be like, where are you? You need to go. And I'm just finishing this one tiny thing, you know. And speaking of different settings, in Dragonlance, they talk about gnomes there where it's essentially they are always working on creations. But their creations, compared to so this where it's like, oh, it's a mutual goal. We're trying to better things. It's definitely for gnomes in Dragonlance, they are more like um, mad scientists. So they create mm-hmm. things and they're like, it will always fail. But it go from the effects go from ridiculous to dangerous, which I love that idea. Go try it. And yep. you're like, oh God, yep. no, I don't want to. No, I don't yep. want to. It, it's, it's the idea that, and this is what I quite like, because I think it's a good life lesson anyway, but there's no such thing as a bad failure. Every failure will improve the chances of something succeeding next time the idea that if you're trying to do something really really hard and there's 500 things that can go wrong if you do 500 experiments the 501st will guaranteed be a success because you've ironed out every single thing that could go wrong by that point and and you're right it's it's the idea that they're just bordering on dangerous at times but they don't mind mucking up they don't mind failing because Mm. they actually you know each disappointment just cuts off a dead end that they don't want to do anymore and they yeah. just keep going and keep yeah. going and keep going and then going from rock gnomes we go then to forest gnomes and these obviously are well, gnomes that live in forests or, or big green lush areas and what i liked about that is that they learn from their surroundings so similar to rock gnomes in a way but they create these lovely gardens these organic sculptures and beautiful emerald jewelry they're really big into their green mm-hmm. and again very similar to halflings in a way they can make their homes sort of vanish into the landscape and live in sort of warrens dug into the hillsides. But what I love, they are amazing 
interior designers. So there's an example <laughs> they use of like taking advantage of the natural features. So imagine you had like a pond above your, your hole, so to speak, and they um, that you would dig and put a fishbowl there and have an, a skylight with an aquarium going in it. And I was just like, that's amazing. You have, you know, smallish but comfortable homes that are beautifully decorated and stuff and having stuff like that, which again, you don't necessarily see in uh, humans or elves homes, you know, everything's very different. So that idea that they are still creative, but using the natural landscape in some way compared to rock gnomes, which look into obviously stonework and gems and whatnot. The other thing, uh, there was a little note. So in Mordecai's, I think we talked about this before, there is in certain books, in certain source books, there is like a voice that goes throughout a few notes here and there. I know Tasha's has it as well and Volo's Certainly. Um, in this one, it was, just, it was just a little note that said, oh, forest gnomes or gnomes in general make uh, great librarians and curators. And I love that idea that compared to maybe halflings who are like, this is a good story, but it's maybe you can't make the connections like, oh, why have you got a spoon and a horseshoe? The, uh, the gnomes will be like, ah, set it up beautifully as an exhibit and it will explain why it sort of tells you the story as it goes through. So that's what I thought was quite cool on that. Yeah, on that point. exactly. The thing that that image you described there, the fish bowl skylight sort of thing that the forest gnome might have. Weirdly enough, my first thought was somebody would be sat at the dinner table with the fish bowl above them lighting up the dinner table and somebody yeah. swims above them and they're like, oh, don't look up, don't look mm-hmm. up. They don't know where. <laughs> It's like that. There's that. There was that thing in the news recently about the the invisible pool between two um, buildings, which obviously got a lot of controversy. But I was like, that must be awful because you're looking down, going, "There's a massive gap," but also people looking up, going, "Ah, oh, don't, don't see." Oh, oh no, yep. <laughs> we got rid of the swap, yep. shorts. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So the main difference between forest gnomes, then, apart from living in forests and, and rock gnomes, which tend to be more sort of burrows and, and undergrounds and things, and what. Well, no, Forests live in boroughs as well, but it's it's a difference in surroundings. But it's all about what they do to experiment with, isn't it? Because rock gnomes are, are tinkerers and, and alchemists and, and artificers, but forest gnomes are, are more pure magic, aren't they? Illusion yes. and, and sort of animal husbandry. Yeah, absolutely. They are experts in illusion. And again, a great line from this was that they will use illusion magic for practically any reason, even if that reason is simply artistic. So again, they, there's this big sort of uh, convention where they are telling stories uh, to people, but instead of it using the reliance on words, I like the idea, like if you compare it again back to halflings, that uh, halflings do it without the presentation slides. They just do it off the cuff, like a, a TED talk, whereas forest gnomes talk, but also have the PowerPoint slides with lots of animations and transitions and always oh, a YouTube video, all that sort of thing. So they'll use the magic to enhance things. But hopefully they don't do it too much, but it just adds to the, uh, the aesthetic. Imagine, so it's, it's similar to if you were giving a talk and you had somebody signing on the edge in, in sort of sign language, but instead of doing that, they were having to create illusions as you were talking. I mean, could you imagine the chaos of it? It's just like, oh, they're talking about a dragon, dragon. Oh, no, small dragon, small dragon. Small dragon, big dragon. (laughs) Blue, red, red, definitely red. Red. That would be amazing. Oh, I love that idea. Just, yeah, that someone is the sign language person, but also the visual artist as well, where you're having to create on the, you know, you have, oh God, what next, what next, you know. Because obviously when you see them, people signing and stuff, they you get their voice or you get their sort of characteristics. There's definitely stuff when you've seen on, um, or more recently on the, the government announcements and stuff, where they, they're doing stuff and you think, oh, they hate they hate the politician that's speaking just now. Just the way they're sort of acting with their face. like Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. The illusions that you get are not going to be of a good quality. So your story better be short and good. Yeah, exactly. And then finally, we have our third 
uh, gnomes, which isn't talked about in the player's handbook at all. And uh, I think here they do have stats for it, but I think they do have stats in the mm. DM's guide as well. But deep gnomes, or swift nerblin, as I believe is the pronunciation, um, yep. they're sort of called a forgotten folk, in a sense. They are gnomes that definitely live in underground, in the deepest sort of darkest reaches of the Underdark. And maybe compared to um, the other uh, gnomes, so like obviously there's a, this, this spark of curiosity and stuff, they are more practical, maybe unfairly, I think, seen as the grumpy cousins of the gnomish clan. But essentially, if you've lived your whole life in the Underdark and you're fighting just to survive, I think it's okay to be a little bit grumpy when some yep. people tell you to lighten up, per se. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We live underground. There is no light. What are you talking about? Exactly. Yeah. So I feel that they're very pragmatic, very pragmatic and very sort of straightforward, um, serious, I think, which is no bad thing. And what I loved about them, because obviously all these things are talking about their homes per se, their homes are hidden, as understandably, but they're also still homely, but functional. So they have obviously these labyrinth-like tunnels and traps and guards to stop you know, the underdark from encroaching on their settlements. So as a result, the settlement may seem very uninviting, but there's a beauty in sort of the natural stone shaping of their home. So you'll go in and everything is obviously shaped out of the stone. So it's open, maybe open plan a little bit, but it's practical. There is a beauty in it. You know, it's like when you see sort of naturally formed caves that happen to have like stalactites and stalactites, that sort of thing. I just like that as, as an idea. But as a result, so they are constantly community minded. So they are thinking about like, oh, well, what's best for the community? Because obviously we need to protect ourselves from things that are coming in but they have very little concern about privacy. <laughs> so I like the idea because they need to know where everyone is at any one point. So they're like, come in and you're, you're in your bedroom, which is also the bathroom, which is also the kitchen. You know, and it's like, come on, we need to go. And you're like, I'm not dressed. You know, you're like, doesn't matter. We don't nope. care. Don't care. Nope. <laughs> Does not care. I love that. That's, I mean, just the, oh, the idea of actually living somewhere like that would be hilarious when you actually think about it. I was looking around flats in London once and there was one that we looked at that had no doors internally. And it was just... That's an existence I was not ready for at the time. And yeah. Well, before I moved to this place, there there was a flat upstairs which had um had a door to one of the rooms, but it was a rolling door, like a whole rolling section. So it wasn't even a proper wall. You just have to roll the whole door across. Wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. It well, it would have been. But also, could you imagine you're at a party, you're like, right, well, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no exactly. yeah that would not be a very good divide would it that was absolutely awful but i think sorry going back to snuff nibbling or snuff however you'd pronounce it that yep. the, the the thing to take away from these guys is that they're not evil they, they may be yep. grouchy and slightly moody because of their circumstance but they are still good it's not like a durgar to dwarf situation where exactly. durgar are definitely evil these these deep gnomes are just uh distant and Put upon. Yes, they're definitely, I would say, like a private person. They compared to say like the halflings as you know, who are always very welcoming and believe stuff, they're always definitely more cautious and they take that moment to be like assess the situation and then eventually warm up to you. We like um I, I imagine them a little bit like we talked about minotaurs recently, the idea that they are maybe standoffish a little bit, but ultimately they, you know, they are they do warm to you and they probably have a good laugh and stuff like that, but they at the forefront of their mind all the time is any sort of not conflict, but anything that could happen to their settlement, because obviously it would be really bad. The underdog is not a nice place to live. So, nope. Yeah. No, nope. very rewarding though. Very mm. rewarding in terms of lots of gems and metals and things for them to mine and use, exactly. but still, absolutely. Exactly. And just, just to finish off, really, so obviously uh, gnomes have gods as well. 
And it's very interesting. Here it talks about, obviously, there's an incredible number of legends about their deities, and each legend is true in its own way. So I love the idea in that... In its all, own way. I love all, that. That's such all, a, like, news thing to say, isn't it's it? So, isn't it? It's like you don't, get, you don't get one version of it. There's so many different versions from these different communities. All these stories change, so we don't know if there is just seven of them, if there's 11 of them, if they're all female, if they're all male. It's all, you know, all the different communities will have different versions of it, but each of them are true. But the main thing to note is that the head of the pantheon, so to speak, is someone called, and I love this name, Gal Glittergold. GGG, mm-hmm. essentially, in my head. Um, and they are the person that sort of brings the others together to go off onto adventures or to pull together because of community. They are described as a gold-skinned gnome, a prankster, a joker, and a good laugh will serve you better than a grim attitude, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, that idea is that everything is okay in the end, we just got to, you know, laugh our way through it. Or we've got to make our way through it. And all the other sort of, um, I won't pronounce all of their names because we'll be here forever, but stuff like <laughs> the, the Wild Wanderer, so the god of the forests, but also has a big raccoon to explore with them. You're like, okay, I'll Amazing. take that. Yeah, of course, of course. They can't help but being cute, can they? It's just yeah. like, it's not like a... Not like a, a huge rat. It's like, oh, a little raccoon. No, oh, lovely. And, and interesting with that one as well. So obviously a wild wanderer is sort of not a god of tricking per se, but they just happen to be, it's a, I, I imagine it as like an odd couple type thing where the raccoon constantly gets you into trouble and this person has to get your way out of it. I think there's all those stories about blaming that, but I love the idea that it's actually both ways and it, you're just blaming the raccoon for all of your <laughs> all of your problems per se. But there are other ones as well. There's cloak shadow, which is teaches the folks to hide and to use magic to deceive foes. Smooth Hands, which is the patron of Deep Gnomes, who is a drive to know more and the power to control Earth Elementals, which I thought mm-hmm. oh, was pretty good. Then this one, <laughs> I would say Flandell Steelskin, who is just described as someone who has a big nose that can smell ore and is the god of metal crafting. I think if that's your defining feature, it feels a bit, it feels a bit sad in a way. But again, it's just the way that these stories are so told. <laughs> exactly. A, at least you know what you're good at and you enjoy it. You know, I can sniff out. I mean, imagine that as an actual skill. You could sniff out gold. I mean, what a what a skill that would be. Yeah, all of these, all of these different gods obviously had their different faiths and they squabble a bit like what before when we talked about uh, mythic odysseys of Theros, all these different pantheons, um, they'll squabble to a lesser extent. Most of them are good or lawful or, or chaotic but only one is chaotic evil i'm going to say mm-hmm. this name wrong absolutely erdel and there's a big story that gar glittergold tried to get all the gods together to work on some big quest and erdel was like no i'm not interested and forward his own selfish ways and as a result the quest succeeded but at a cost and whether that's because one of the other gods lost their hand um the steel skin cannot have the, the skin anymore and as a result this person uh, erdel was uh, exiled from the Seven Golden Hills, which is where this pantheon is. It's that sort of idea that greed and destruction is a great thing and we should be warned against it. And now that Erlel is now a big sort of, they've described it as a, as a destructive monster, a great blind and hairless mole with iron claws and teeth. And at, any, and at any time you as a gnome experience jealousy, greed or envy, that comes from Erlen. And so there's a big importance like, hey, society is important. You need to work together in order to come over a problem, which I just thought, oh, great. <laughs> it is cool. I wish that our children were taught about the needs to avoid greed and, and you know, petulance by a huge blind mole with steel teeth and thang. I mean, that would be, that would definitely get the the, the, the message across, I think, mm-hmm. much more. But I, I love the idea that even even with the bad things, gnomes can't help to be cute. Their villain is a mole. 
Yeah. I mean, I've seen moles. I grew up in the countryside. They're really cute. They're really, really cute. <laughs> Even a scary mole. I mean, everything about the gnomes are cute. I mean, I was just reading the next bit talks about the Golden Hills, which is the gnome yes. sort of utopia on the plane of Bitopia, I believe, or mm. Bitopia. Yeah, which we've spoken which is one about of the, before. Yeah. yeah, one of the positive planes. Um, very, very cool place. But it's just this huge warren that looks really, really idyllic. And again, um, the, the note in the book just says, it would be the most relaxing place in the multi-universe or multiverse if it weren't for the fact that each hill was as busy as a beehive on the inside. And that's exactly the sort of thing. It looks beautiful <laughs> from the outside. And inside, it's just a warren of chaos exactly. and construction. And I just love the idea that, yeah, the, the gods, they are just this sort of group of friends that still live in the hills and actually exist. Like, I love that as a, as a concept. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it as like a, a, a friends reunion type thing. Absolutely. Definitely. I see that. And yeah, just again, just to quickly finish off Gnome Adventurers. The reason that they may leave home is always because they are curious. They want to know more. So it's more likely that they'll go up on adventures. I actually, I swear I can't remember. I think gnomes are in the basic rules over halflings as a result but i can't remember it's one or the other one of them's in one of them's not but this idea that they are they are fascinated by this pull of the cosmos and there is like this giant sheen of complexity that you are only a small part of but you have a part to play which i love and some communities some gnome communities do make a practice of sending young adults away as a sort of rite of passage but ask them if they come back to bring new information or ideas for the community so the idea is that you're going on your gap year absolutely but when you come back please you know help us evolve as a so compared to like the halfling community say well you go out there and then once you've had your fill you'll always have a home here here it's like we're not kicking you out but if you come back with more stuff that's great that we yeah. love that you know? yeah exactly exactly we're not kicking you out but please you know go be useful thank you <laughs> exactly exactly and yeah, just to finally finish off, both halflings and gnomes have uh, traits. So in case you're very bored and trying to come up with uh, character backstories or anything like that, here's some really good tables on this. Like, um, I will say, though, on the gnome one, that in terms of flaws, there's only four flaws that you can have, which I thought was interesting. It's, I guess there's only so much you can do, which is not blowing stuff up or getting your you know curiosity kills the cat, so to speak. But in terms of uh, the, the halfling one, I think the one I picked out, which was sort of my favourite, so I was trying to find it. It's one of the ideals, which is companionship. You're pretty sure you can be friends with anyone and anything. I thought, what a great role-playing thing that'd be. Like, you're not, again, that idea that halflings aren't afraid of anything inherently, but just like, like oh, ah, they just need a good friend. Yep. One second. And you're like, yep. no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's wonderful, isn't it? Like, I just, I love that as a, as a, as a concept. It's really, really lovely. Yeah. Um, just some of the, I love some of the, the known personality traits as well. Just looking at them. You love little and big critters and go out of your way to help them. And big critters being the thing. You could easily see a gnome running up to some horrifying dinosaur and being like, oh, you're so cute. They're like, would you have this carrot? Yeah, exactly. No, it wants your arm, but sure. But again, have a look through. And also in case you're interested, there are the deep known uh, stats as well. So you get stuff like um, they, they're normally neutral alignments for this. But again, as we know, alignments mean nothing anymore. So that's good. But they've got stuff like superior dark vision, a stone camouflage where, you know, you get uh, advantages on stealth checks against stone because obviously you're used to it. And you get uh, something called 
uh, feat called Snuff Nerblin Magic, which mm, you can get non-detection. Yeah, non-detection, blindness and deafness, uh, blur and disguise self. Non-detection, as we've discovered, is a very useful spell that we definitely need to use more of. Turns yeah, out. very low level spell as well. But there we go. No, it's really, really very useful. And I just, gnomes, I, I, I like them as an idea. As, as an adventuring character, you could really see just somebody that's full of life and wants to know more and wants to be curious and gets their nose into the wrong places but generally is very helpful like yeah i've seen you play a gnome before but you you've mentioned you've played a halfling like do you, was there a difference between playing the two or did you kind of just enjoy both um so the halfling i think i've talked about it before the halfling paladin called susan uh, was was <laughs> um, that was interesting? I think knowing what I know now about halflings, I wouldn't have played them as a snooty know-it-all paladin. As a result, I definitely played it paladin first before halfling. Um, but I'd love to play a halfling again. Like, I mean, I, I will admit, mechanically speaking, for halflings, you get obviously luck or lucky. So if every time you roll a one, you can just re-roll it and get the height or see what else you get. Yeah, but, amazingly useful that. Oh, I love that. That's why most I would say most of my characters then, as a result, do take the luck feet because I got so used to having uh, half the luck as a result but yeah I've always been a big fan of gnomes I just like that idea that they, they are little scientists and that positivity and willingness to fail forward even in my own life I'm getting much better at just going I'm just going to do it okay it's failed but I've learned something from it but it's something that it takes so much getting used to and having a whole race or a whole community that is just like that and it's, it must be so supportive and so mm. like i said there's no jealousy per se that people respect you what you're doing and are willing to help you to, to do it but also they don't you know say like go out explore go do it and pushing you to do more that's yeah i just everything about that is like tick 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 exactly i just i i, I totally agree i could see myself playing a halfling actually i like I, the idea i of, pegged you as a halfling person a yeah i love i love to chill and do nothing when oh, i should be we're really productive so, we're so different so i know i know maybe go. maybe we we offer the differences between the two but we both get a lot of stuff done but we do yeah in, in our own time and way that's exactly it well there we go that uh, was an amazing whistle stop tour between the two and i hope that you use one or both in a campaign they're very very interesting and i just yeah the idea of getting any community of gnomes together just i think is is absolutely insane and i'd love to see a a, a bitopia adventure where you go to see the world of the gnomes i mean that would be just the maddest thing can we find you doing in the meantime though what have you been up to so when i'm not just spouting like how much i love being a gnome i am i run what am i rolling which is a twice monthly rpg one-shot podcast um as always it is doing very very well Um, very very well lots of things happening uh at some point need to sort out patreon and discord but those are problems for later me i've got i'm I'm busy reading too much that's the thing Uh, but also i forgot to mention it last time but we have uh, a discount code at a third space gaming uh you if you type in the offer code dmbc into uh their website you get 10 percent off your first order on whatever you want so whether it is Ooh. rpg books miniatures wargaming terrain who knows the choice is yours but yeah dmbc for 10 percent off but but ryan ryan really what are you up to man what's going on well i'll be using that code uh, that sounds amazing apart from that no you can come find me on discord as well i do have a discord the yes around discord so come and say hello and talk to me about anything we've been speaking to about podcasts i'd love to talk about dnd it's a very good fun so come find me on that brilliant well thank you all for listening and 
never going to end this well. Uh, we'll, we'll see you, speak to you next time. <laughs> I love that. That was great. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.